Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm in Spain at the moment, so um, I'm glad we could have managed to arrange to do this uh, do this podcast because it didn't look like it was going to happen for a while there. So um, <laughs> you're in Spain today. I genuinely thought you were in Berlin <laughs> because is that tomorrow that you're in Berlin? No, I'm in Berlin um, on next Monday, and I'm in Paris on Thursday. Okay, Last night at Paris, it's very confusing. Yeah. Are you la- launching your own fashion label? Is that that's what's it? Yeah, exactly. How did you know? <laughs> so if we've got any weird sound gremlins or anything, um, that's just. Blame it on international travel. And uh, also, the reason that we're doing Palace and Liverpool uh, this week is producer Tom is going to be away uh, in Toronto. So between the three of us, there's a lot of cities being covered. But I'm mostly just sticking to one of them. Um, You're in Spain now, which is a lovely segue for us to talk about when Manchester United went to Spain last week. Yes. Um, Yeah, you called it frustrating at the top of the show. I wasn't in the least bit frustrated by this game because I knew that was exactly how United were going to play. (laughs) Yes, Uh, 25 shots to six. Yeah. (laughs) On Sevilla's favour. I haven't looked at the XG. I'm guessing it's not good. Yeah, it's like like 1.8 to 0.5 or something. So, um, But it's amazing. I don't know how Mourinho is pulling this off, but he's managing to pull off games where United concede a hell of a load of shots and don't concede any goals. I think it might have something to do with David De Gea. <laughs> I mean, he made one absolutely mind-blowing save in that game. The the one from the header just before half-time right. that was... I, I mean, it would have been physiologically unsavable if it had just been a little further away from him, but it was it was far enough away from him that hardly any keeper would have saved it. Because not only does he have to get his hand to the ball, he has to get his hand to the ball quickly enough with enough force that the ball doesn't just kind of... Because there's a lot of room left in the net, isn't there? Yeah. He could easily have kind of got something on it and it still went in. Yeah, I mean, you're right about it, it being close enough to him that he it was possible to make a worldie. But it's definitely a worldie. Um, yeah, great great save. And, he, and, you know, tidy keeping for the rest of it. A few other saves. Sevilla created a lot of chances. They had all the momentum. Uh, what United had, they wanted to hold, which was nil, nil. Um, and Mourinho, I guess, got what he wants. I, I kind of found the reaction to it a little bit strange, though, because, um, you know, I... I uh, I guess on some channels they were sort of praising United for a creditable performance and result. But I, I don't know that nil-nil away from home in the Champions League is that good anymore. I mean, Sevilla will create chances at United. I mean, you can see why they don't score a lot of goals, Sevilla, because obviously they don't finish the chances that they create. But imagine they do finish one of those chances. United are going to have scored two at Old Trafford. Um, which is perfectly possible, of course, but I actually don't think it's an awesome result, nil-nil, away from home in the Champions League anymore. Still, the pressure is on United to go out there and win the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's been widely considered a good result for a long time, has it, nil-nil? It was very strange watching the coverage on BT Sport because Darren Fletcher, the not the football genius, but the football incredible non-genius that does the um, play-by-play commentary, it's not play by play in football, is it? But the the he calls the action, as they say. Um, but he does it with this 
with a huge amount of opinion thrown in and very ill-informed opinion at that. Like the idea that United were good and the idea that Sevilla never really threatened United seemed very weird that they would come up with that. And then, but then they cut back to the studio and um, Paul Scholes was a lot more sort of uh, forthright about the performance. So it'd be good to talk about some of the specifics, I think. Um, This was... Uh, at the height of Mourinho Pogba Gate for literally no reason. First sort of biggest game for a couple of months and uh, Pogba's dropped in favour, I guess in favour of Ander Herrera really, because yeah. McTominay's regular in the first team at the moment. Yeah, which and, and the switch to the four three three system that many people have been calling for because it suits Pogba came at the same time. Um, so it was it was pretty interesting. And we'll look, I mean, played the same system against Chelsea, so we'll maybe we'll get to see over the next few weeks whether anyone was actually right about that being uh, the perfect system. But yeah, it, it felt like a double blow. Yeah, sure, you can have what you want. You're just not going to be part of it. And uh, clearly, a power play going. It's kind of sad that during the week there were briefings and counter briefings in various papers, um, each camp talking to the. Uh, newspapers and apparently not talking to each other. Um, I hope it can be resolved. He got back into the team against Chelsea, although that had a lot to do with Ander Herrera's injury, I guess. Um, and he he wasn't awesome in either game, really. Better against Chelsea. But even though he was, neither he nor United were very good against Sevilla. The extent to which he was a better midfielder than Ander Herrera was very clear pretty much straight away in that severe game. Like he was, like you say, he was not awesome in that game, but he did get the ball moving. Uh, he kind of dug, dug the team out of pressure trouble a few times. You know, there was a few touches here and there. Like, I'm not saying he had a good game in that game. He didn't, but he was one of United's better players in a really flat, dreadful performance. I mean, you said you weren't frustrated because you expect this from what we're going to do. And and I, I totally get that. It feels completely baffling to me that you play for a nil-nil in, in a format where they're, where away goals count for 1.1 or whatever. It's absolutely... I mean, it seems to be so counterproductive. Like you said, um, Tavia, we they did have a lot of shots and, and mustered up a decent number of decent chances, maybe one or two really good chances, the, the header and one more. Um, but they, it's not like they never score goals, you know. It's not like they're not allowed to score. It's not entirely possible they'll get one in the early going at Old Trafford or even, you know, we go 1-0 up in the 10th minute, sit back for 70 minutes and then they score a goal in the 80th minute and we're in absolutely bags of trouble. Like, that is that's not unreasonable to suspect. I mean, I have to say, apart from dropping Pogba, which wasn't really... Um, doesn't seem to be much of a tactical decision, especially given he played a four-three-three where Pogba could have done his thing. Well, no, um, when he when he was asked about sorry, sorry for cutting in, but when he was asked about it, um, he said he was asked if it was tactical, and he said no, no. But Pogba didn't play at the weekend. I mean, Herrera hadn't barely played for two months, so um, he claimed it was a fitness issue. Mourinho, T- clearly, yeah. well, totally well, nonsense. Clearly, totally nonsense. And this was about uh, this was a power play. This is saying I'm boss. You do what I want. And by the way, Ander Herrera goes off after 16 minutes with, I think, a muscle injury. So it's like great, great squad management there, Josie, mate. Um, but the, the 
the thing about that team is that that decision aside, it's not a defensive team in that you've got it. There were more defensive options available to him. He could have played three at the back. He went with his 4-3-3, played both Mata and Sanchez as well as Lukaku. So there, it's not it's not that the the team's devoid of attacking potential but you know you look at that lineup and you think how how big is the gap between Lukaku and the rest of the team going to be and the answer was very, very big very big i mean you, you know, know Lukaku was in Sevilla and and the rest of the team was still back in Manchester it was it's incredible <laughs> and 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 not only that but it's not that, that they just didn't get support from midfield to towards Lukaku none of the fullbacks pushed forward either so united were both you know sitting in this low block and um, and not attacking the channels, so very narrow, and it was it was deeply frustrating to watch. It. By the way, pretty much the same thing happened against Chelsea as well, where the, the fullbacks barely barely you know even got within nosebleed territory of the halfway line, let alone pushing on. Well, um, I was just going to cl- say, clearly an instruction about... here, clearly a you know a, a tactical response. Might as well just play four four, four centre backs if you're going to do that. You know, and um, it's it's it, it is kind of odd just how conservative this team is. I mean, it's kind of odd in that it runs counter to how much talent and attacking talent there is in the team. Not kind of odd because, of course, that's what Mourinho's built a career on. So, I, I mean, apart from De Gea's wonder save and the fact that we didn't concede and so, you know, it's a draw in the first leg of a tie, not the end of the world. So it is it is genuinely kind of a tough place to go um, in a way that we, we hear tough place to go a lot. Van Gaal used to say stuff like that. Remember when he said Aston Villa's defence was well organised and hard to break down in the season. They got the second fewest points any team in the Premier League ever has. Um, but... Th- this is a genuinely tough place to go. So there's some semblance of a positive there. But honestly, I, I, I just left that game feeling like, oh, right, this is it. Well, maybe we'll, I think I might have said last week, maybe we'll fluke a cup. Maybe we'll fluke too. Um, but I don't know how... You know, the the thing that this game made me think is the Jose's playing the way Man United should chant. It's, yeah. Uh, really so dramatically wide of the mark i mean yep there there have been periods where um it was a lot more entertaining and fun to watch united than it was under van hal but at the moment i don't see much to endear this team anymore apart from the individual talent any more than watching van hal's right. second season because it's just depressing well, i just i kind of wonder you know big picture here what is it that Mourinho wants in order to to make this team a bit more expansive you know, I mean, he spent three hundred odd million, and that doesn't even count anything on the Sanchez transfer. Um, so it's a hell of a lot of money. United has spent about seven hundred since Fergie retired. Some of it recouped through sales, of course. So a hell of a lot of talent in the squad, um, and but at the same time, a hell of a lot of players who just don't seem to be quite good enough. Is it just more players he needs in order to say, "Hey, now the fullbacks can attack"? Um, because I, I personally think the days of a team defending their way to the title have gone right you know it's uh, th- this is not modern football maybe maybe the cycle will come back round to Catanaccio mm-hmm. and Mourinho will be the great you know innovator again or something like that but it doesn't appear to be the case so 
I don't think you, this United team, structured in this way, can score enough goals to get anywhere near the Premier League title. Um, so is it just players he needs in order to bridge the, that gap, or is you know, or is there a fundamental change? And then you come on to second question: Has he hit the ceiling? Can can he take this team any further if he's not prepared to to change his way of doing things? It's such a strange thing. It's such a strange conversation to be having because, you know, you mentioned the amount of money spent on players and that that's always a figure that can be really misleading. But just think about the, you know, some people can, it's possible to spend money badly. And I don't think we have under Mourinho. Okay, Mkhitaryan has gone already. Ibrahimovic came on a free. Everyone else is has either done really well or quite well or looks like they might have a future after all. I'm looking at Victor Lindelof there, obviously. Um, but, you know, so the, the the attacking talent that's come in, Pogba, Lukaku, Ibrahimovic, there was Mkhitaryan, that he brought Matic in, which was supposed to free up some of this attacking talent and just to make us play more expansive. And for a time that was working. And you add to that players, and now he's brought in Sanchez as well. And, and the, the the thing is, I can't see a collection of players that are going to... Ma- I mean, what would it take for his players to be more expansive? Would it be like Matic turning into Pete Claude Makalele? Is, is that is that what it would take? Or does he want two players um, to, to be like excellent top-level holding midfielders and then he'll free up the other five to do whatever they want up front what? and let the full-backs I mean, you know, he's brought McTominay into the side to do that and, and he's doing that job. McTominay, I mean, we criticise the range of his passing, the expansiveness of his passing, but I'm sure Mourinho is quite happy with him. Um, although, we'll come on to Chelsea. He made a really big mistake against Chelsea, but he's he's done fine. So he's given Mourinho that security. The fullbacks don't go forward at all. He's got two defensive midfielders in there, and United is still sitting in this low block, you know, leaving Lukaku up front on his own. It's it's a little odd. So yeah, you know, maybe I, mean, I, I the- denied Cher having any frustration, but clearly the the ranting that has gone on for the last twenty minutes <laughs> shows that I was a bit frustrated by that game. The the, um, the point about the fullbacks, I just want to kind of defend us against accusations of hyperbole. Of course, the fullbacks go forward sometimes. We are seeing crosses in from Valencia. We are seeing a bit of interplay between Young and Martial against Chelsea. It's it's the uh, more or less always only one of them's allowed to go, and they don't always go even when they probably should always go. The, that, that's the right. the way it is, isn't it? It's not like they never cross the halfway. No, line. they both do. But I mean, against Sevilla, Young was Young's starting position, and his average position is much further forward than Valencia's. Valencia hardly ever attacked, you know, and that was because right. Escudero actually had a good game and and pushed forward, and and Valencia's defending. But it's also a decision to do that, and it also allows the opposition to pressure you in that way. You know, it allowed Navas and Escudero to push much higher up the pitch, much, much higher up the pitch, and, and augment Sevilla's midfield. So I, I think it's a real problem. In the modern game, um, uh, fullbacks are a really important um, uh, giver of width. You know, and augmenting numbers in midfield because almost no one plays with traditional wingers anymore. United certainly don't. You know, they're always inverted, which means that the natural tendency is to come inside. And you saw that against um, at Chelsea very much, where at least one of them was inverted, but the other one was inverted from his favourite position. Um, and and if the fullbacks aren't attacking, you're really really narrow. It's much easier to defend against that. 
Yeah, um, and and you know, but again, severe. They're just it, it's this thing that happens, which I don't. I must say, I don't feel like I fully understand where the kind of sort of the structural intent of the team. You look at the lineup, and you're not like screaming, "Oh my gosh, he's parking a bus here!" But there's this kind of competence failure that happens when United are a bit shaky because that that eleven that he put a, a put out against Sevilla, particularly after Pogba came on, there's absolutely no reason that that eleven couldn't have had quite a kind of positive intent to it, you know. Um, and yet the the kind of it, it just seems to me so often there just aren't enough players in the opposition half when United have the well, ball. I think, I think like that's it's true, so yeah. straightforward. I, I do wonder about the quality of Sevilla. I mean, they've got some decent players, and I don't want to sound all Gray and Sunes here, but I, I just wonder whether they wouldn't just be a mid-table side in England. Um, and they're not far off that in Spain. Um, maybe that's unfair. Maybe they're a better team than that. But I, I'm not sure there's that much that's that special about this Sevilla team uh, for United to be that scared about them well i mean wherever they rank in the kind of totality of things this is certainly one of the more favorable draws united could have got in this round isn't it you know that there's they're united if if they want to win the champions league as ridiculous as that seems um they're gonna have to beat someone better than severe aren't they like that's they're not one of the big dogs by any stretch of the imagination but we we play against anyone with a modicum of threat as if they are the big dogs but Mourinho has always done this I mean always done this and you know one of the things that made me wonder is actually is this is this why he only has two European Cups even though he's got so much league success I mean partly that's it's it's about sample size and everything has to fall into play me Fergie only got two European Cups in his whole time at United so it is tough but I don't know it was uh it was it was pretty up it was a pretty upsetting game and then and then we uh, we played Chelsea and we won, which should be great, right? We beat Chelsea at Old Trafford. That's a huge, huge result, and without question, there are there are big positives to take uh, about this game. And having kind of banged on about the negatives about the Sevilla game for so long, wouldn't mind starting with the big positives. And for me, number one with a bullet was the absolutely outstanding performance of Romelu Lukaku, uh, goal and an assist and an all round. Um, just uh, I, when he scored that goal. The roof of my head felt like it was going to lift off. I was so happy because all this, like, a friend of mine was talking to me on WhatsApp, kind of calling him rubbish and all that, and commentators kept going on about this top six record. I'm like, and then, and then he got one really good sniff and was absolutely awesome in the kind of hold-up play and the interplay that led to that goal and then finished it with such a plum and then... He topped all that off with what my friend Cal called, uh, friend of the show, Cal Gildart, called uh, Romelu Bekaku, um, an absolutely glorious cross uh, for Jesse Lingard's winner. Yeah, he had a very good performance. And, uh, you know, he he was asked after the game whether he felt vindicated in terms of the criticism he gets for his record against the top six. Um, And he said, no, not really. Um, just just trying to win the game, you know, which is which is fine. But it is true his record against the top six is not good. And when you pay seventy five million pounds for a striker, you want them to make a difference in the biggest games. Um, and he did in this game. He was very very good all round. Took his goal really really well. I mean, at one stage when he was trying to juggle it on his head, it looked like he'd lost it. Gets it out to Martial. Martial's done absolutely superbly. 
to get the ball back into him. And, and Lukaku, one touch with his right, second touch with his left, and it's a goal, you know, beautiful. And that's exactly what we were hoping to get from him. Um, he was great. And, and Sanchez, on the other hand, was not, and neither was Martial, really, well, even though he'll get credited with an assist. Um, and so I, I, get, well, I guess we needed some, you know, someone to really perform up front. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. It's worth saying that Sanchez did very well in the play around the goal, feeding Martial in very tight space. And so all three of, um, well, Lukaku pulled himself very intelligently into a bit of space for the finish but it was incredibly congested and crowded in there and it, it required some real slide rule accuracy from Sanchez to Martial through a bunch of legs and then Martial to Lukaku again like the, all three of them really fine fine interplay um, and you say credited with an assist I mean it's not one of those assists where he knocked it to someone who shot from no, 30 no, yards. No, 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 that, 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 that's that's that unfair, it. isn't it? Yeah. No, my, no, my problem with Sanchez is he he did not have the tactical discipline that we kind of expected of him playing out on the right, right? He clearly did not want to play there. Um, he, he just kept drifting inside all the time into the number 10 zone, which kind of, especially with Valencia, really not pushing forward that much um, and balanced the side somewhat. It's... Um, it's a it's a real problem, right? Because he's he's bought a replacement for Rashford and Martial. He's trying to work out how to get all these players into the team. So he's dropped Mata, who actually you know had a half decent game out in Sevilla. Um, moved Sanchez out right, a position he's not played for a long time, but it's probably the one that makes most sense for the balance of the team. And then Sanchez has decided to do his own thing. I wonder whether he'll get <laughs> criticised and dropped. <laughs> Rob Hawthorne, I think, was the commentator on Sky and he said something along, or it might have been Alan Smith actually, saying Sanchez is playing in his preferred fit position through the middle. And I was like, kept looking at the team sheet going, but I mean, if he's playing through the middle, who's playing on the right? <laughs> you know. And the answer was very much no one. In fact, in the second half, um, what it looked like was we were playing uh, 4-3-1-2 with Sanchez behind Lukaku and Martial, um, who were both playing up front, but Martial pulling left and, and Lukaku pulling right. Of course, Lukaku pulling right is where the, the second goal came from. Um, and that would have actually made some vague sense if the fullbacks were allowed to go beyond the halfway line. So this, the pattern of this game, we had 20 minutes of utter trash from United. Like Chelsea just, there was only one team in it for the first 20 minutes. Morata hit the bar after four minutes and United were garbage they could not keep the ball um Chelsea just Chelsea looked like in a completely different class to United for that first 20 minutes but then United did manage to kind of shake themselves out of that stupor and um kind of had a little bit of extended possession and and a few like chances and half chances until uh the goal for Chelsea came and it it was one of those comedy of errors I mean Pogba made the kind of challenge that we would have hammered Wayne Rooney for. Um, his boot came off, I discovered in the replay, which kind of un- made it a bit more understandable that he hadn't kind of got up and run after the ball. Um, and then just the defending all ends up. God, I mean, and even the goalkeeping was atrocious. It, it, like, let's start from the beginning. Pogba barely gets off the ground, so he doesn't, doesn't make the challenge. You know, I think that's fair criticism, as long as you're throwing it yeah. all around. Um, Lindelof 
goes with the ball, so he ends up in a left-back spot. Young is clearly totally confused about that, doesn't know what he's doing, so sort of drops back into a sort of central defensive spot. McTominay is attracted to the player and then loses his man, so William just runs past him. Um, and he's like, oh, what's gone on there? Too late. And and then William, like, fires it straight at David De Gea, who manages to jump over the top of it. Did yeah. I get any of that wrong? <laughs> no, no. I mean, if anything, you were quite generous to McTominay. I thought, like, obviously, he's a young lad. And, and one of the things about bringing academy players through is they have to be allowed to make really bad high-profile mistakes. It's it is an inevitable part of the learning process, and sometimes that's going to be costly, but it's a price worth paying. But my gosh, his lack of awareness was just... I mean, it's easy to understand how somebody could freeze in a moment like that, but it was it was really... I, I thought out of all the defensive mistakes, his was the kind of absolutely peak defensive mistake out of all of that, really. Or Well, I guess maybe there's an argument to say that De Gea's was the most egregious yeah. of those mistakes. I mean, I, I think part of it is because he was basically man-marking uh, Eden Hazard, and and um, then he's, so he's attracted to his man... Problem was the real danger was the third man run, so you know he's it's just not enough awareness of everything around him. I'm sure Michael Carrick would not have made that mistake. Yeah, but of course, once upon a time, Michael Carrick absolutely would have made that mistake, wouldn't he? And then he'd have got pilloried for it, sort of thing. Um, but the the thing about him marking Eden Hazard was like that was commented on. But he wasn't. I mean, he 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 was on and off. He was kind of zonally man marking Eden Hazard when there were when he was in certain areas. But it wasn't like what Herrera did to Hazard. Clearly, the instructions weren't the same. And I think actually, having given Mourinho so much grief this episode, that's something that he kind of deserves a degree of credit for. Because I think Mourinho probably just twigged. I can't make McTominay. Herrera can do it. I can't ask McTominay to do that. It's not going to be nearly as effective. Um, in in and it will just take a player out of our structure too much um, to make it worthwhile. So I think that was pretty sensible of Mourinho. And, and in the end, it paid dividends. So then this. That then William scores, it's a complete disaster. And then United, as they clearly have the potential to do, wake the heck up. You know, this is the the really maddening thing about this team is when they're on it, there is so much talent there. Like that goal, it wasn't just an ordinary goal. It's easy to just go, oh, this is an ordinary goal, but you're up against an absolutely packed defence. I mean, we, we slate Mourinho for being defensive. I mean... Conte's playing a back three and then Kante and Drigwater in the centre of defence with the two with the two wing back in the central midfield, sorry, with the two wing backs. So like an absolutely ultra defensive lineup from uh, from Conte. Um but United managed to find their way through, score that goal. Then we get to half time, and then this was the period of the game that I found hardest to take. Like first 20 minutes were bad because Chelsea were playing well and United was just under the cosh, and that can happen in a game. But but the utter cowardice of the kind of ta- I mean Mourinho was clearly just shook by that and and so often when we had the ball only it only seemed like Pogba, Martial, Lukaku and Sanchez were the only people allowed in the opposition half and then gradually we started to see a couple more players in the half and, and that kind of eased off and then once he'd made the change Lingard came on from Martial and United kind of improved um in that last in that last phase of the game it looked to me like that anyway 
But that that first period of the second half was as brutal as anything I've seen under Mourinho. It was just right. He just looked he just looked terrified of the counter attack. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I wonder who's going to be. Yeah, you know, I wonder how disappointed Antonio Conte will be because I suspect it's a lot. Um, because he'll look at his own team there and wonder why their intensity dropped so much. Because I'm not sure that United improved that much. And I don't think the tactics really changed. I mean, a little bit when Lingard came on, as you mentioned, because um, uh, he added a bit of impetus, didn't he? And obviously got his inevitable goal because that's what he does these days. Jesse Lingard. Yeah. Um, but, but Chelsea's intensity just dropped off a cliff. And you know, it's 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 a kind of summary of their whole season, really. They they can still be brilliant, um, uh, but the the motivation to do it for the full ninety minutes doesn't seem to be there anymore. I mean, I, I have to say, having given Mourinho a lot of grief, I'm glad Antonio Conte isn't managing Man United because by heck, that'd be miserable. Like the, when he t- it, it it just seemed like when he took Hazard off for Pedro, Hazard off for Pedro. That was just when the whole thing completely fell apart for them. And they they were really, really terrible for the kind of half an hour between between the 60-minute mark. Well, the 20 minutes between the 60-minute mark and United's goal. Uh, I mean, you know, I'd goal. be pulling my hair out if I had Antonio Conte as manager. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely no fun and games between the managers at all. Disappointed about that. There know, was, Mourinho didn't want to talk, talk good... about him before the game. Shook his hand. What's going on? There was one good bit where he kind of walked over kind of like to the very edge of his t- technical area, Mourinho did, and Conte was on the edge of his. And like, and Mourinho said something to Conte, and in the instant, Conte looked like, oh my God, what's about to kick off? Am I going to have to fight him? Um, but then um, he clocked that Mourinho was joking, and it, it like even though Conte was really on the defensive, whatever Mourinho said, like clearly massively made him laugh, which was... Really, like Mourinho is, I don't know, for all his incredibly annoying characteristics, he can be really funny when he wants to be. So that, that was good. Uh, the Lingard goal was lovely. Uh, just, you know, that this thing of Rene Moulinstein making him watch Iniesta videos. And, and you can you can see the... This is the thing that we used to say about Lingard when he first started to break into the first team, which is that his off-the-ball movement is so good. Uh, it's just he's not very good on the ball. That's obviously improved a lot lately. Um, but that's just brilliant classic Lingard third man run isn't it he's so good at that stuff right and 13 goals this season it's, it's hard I mean he's, he's hardly he's started three games since Sanchez joined um so he's clearly lost out uh there and and he won't start too many games if United do play this sort of 4-3-3 system I don't think um but he's got so many goals it's hard to keep him out of the side you know it's it's, it's, oh, it's the frustrating the deeply frustrating thing just how much talent United have in attacking areas now just how much um and not being able to get extract enough from them you know Lingard can't get in the team Rashford uh, can't get in the team Martial managed to get in the team I mean it's a shame he didn't have a stormer of a game really um uh you know it's just it's just so much and uh and it's the wrong manager to extract the most out of it I think I mean you say Lingard has started three games since Sanchez signed, hasn't there's only been seven games since Sanchez signed, so it's just under half of them. And Rashford, though, on the other hand, 
as he started, or I guess he started against um, Yeovil, right? But that's the only one that Rashford started. So he's he's really seriously missed, missing out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of talent there. Uh, the Romelu Lukaku cross, once again, showing that Romelu Lukaku is the best crosser at Manchester United. Like, he, I, I'm sticking by this. Maybe Sanchez will prove me different, but you don't see him putting too many crosses in, do you? I think Romelu Lukaku is the best crosser of the ball we've got at the club, which is a problem because clearly he's also the best person at the club to be on the end of crosses. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful ball. Absolutely into the sweet spot of space and, and Lingard knows how to you know get into those spaces and, and now he seems to know how to finish him as well, which is the thing he didn't know how to do in the past. <laughs> Um, so fine, fine goal. Mm. Uh, this wasn't. It was. This was like a mini Arsenal result, wasn't it? You know. You know. United went to Arsenal, got absolutely battered and won. Um, United got battered for a long period of this game. Not all of it, by any means. Um, and somehow won. Somehow ground out a result. I, it's hard. It would be hard as a neutral to go. Yeah, they deserved that. I mean, um, but they won it in their details. I mean, I guess. Mm, and I suppose a draw on balance would be a fair result from the kind of overall pattern of play in, in both halves. But it, the Arsenal game, in a way, sort of felt like a bit of a robbery. Um, like loads and loads of really good chances and amazing De Gea saves and like bad Arsenal finishing and stuff. But this wasn't that. This wasn't, like you said, it was a mini Arsenal. But but Chelsea were not all that. Like they were very good for the first 20 minutes and they hit that that one counter-attack beautifully. But um, the second half, they didn't really offer very much at all. And no. no, no, right, yeah. And United kind of exerted a sort of passive Mourinho-esque control over a lot of the second half. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was far from a sparkling, wonderful performance and, and not not the kind of performance that fills you with uh, hope and optimism for the rest of the season or indeed Mourinho's campaign. But no, there's no doubt you, we cannot get away from the fact that that is a superb result. Like, results-wise, that that is big. That is a big, big, big result. Certainly is. Well, that was that. Um, and uh, United now have a six-point gap over Chelsea in fourth. Fifth. Um, you know, it's fifth. 10 games to go. Chelsea, Chelsea uh, That's fifth. a big gap. With, that's a good gap with 10 games to go. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an important result in, in uh, the Champions League qualification places. Obviously, the title is gone now. Um, uh, it's an important result if United want to make sure they get automatic qualification for the Champions League, and I presume that second is important too. Well, I mean... At least, you know, sort of important. It's a funny season, isn't it? Because second is, like, the best anyone can really hope for. Like, because City are a generational side, right? So coming coming second this season, it, it, it really... It, it does sort of mean a bit more than it normally means. I mean, I, hard to get too invested in the battle to finish second but but it does seem to sort of rather mean a, a bit like you know second out of the teams that aren't massively financially doped to the hilt isn't it anyway so uh shall we take some questions because we've had quite a few of them this week okay uh, you know what i did i set up an auto tweet <laughs> of course you did so so, so I, i'll never forget again because the robots are doing it for me nice It'll make no sense when we decide to have a week off. Uh, is Matic the best rectangular footballer ever? Uh, asks uh, Tommy underscore CTS Tom Patterson. 
how is he rectangular? I don't know. I don't understand it. I thought you might because it's like some cultural meme or something. I mean, if it is, I've been off Twitter too long and I don't know what it is anymore. Sorry, Tom. Is Lindelof officially rubbish? Asked at Liz Worsley, friend of the show. I don't think he is, is he? I I think he's I think he might be officially promising. I don't know. Maybe I'm just I I don't know. I don't understand central defenders. I've just come to this conclusion. I thought Phil Jones was good. I thought Johnny Evans was good. I don't know. I don't know anything. Maybe. Are you guys actually any good or not? I can't figure it out. Us, uh, yeah, sort of friend of the show. Well, you know, he's a friend of the show. Chris Etchingham 77. Are <laughs> allowed to be official friends of the show? Yeah, they are in this case. Um, As- associate friend of the show. <laughs> he's got a special dispensation. He's a friend of the show. There's no doubt about that. He's been supporting us for a long time. Um, no, I think. I think we've got a lot of very, very, very talented players and I think we could be good, but I am I am certainly not ready to say we're good yet. Even though we're still second in the league and somehow better than Liverpool and Spurs and these teams that sort of look like they sh- seem to be better than us, but they're, they're officially not. At Felly Beat, Richard Rugely. Is it Rugely? Roughly? I don't know. Sorry, Rich. Um, Ars, is Alexis Di Maria 2.0? Ah, what do you think, Ed? It's a bit early, isn't it? (laughs) Seven games into Di Maria's time, I think we thought he was awesome, so this is the reverse (laughs) of that. Sanchez hasn't put in a storming performance yet, has he? I think he's still trying to adjust, but he he feels like he's playing... um, Feels like he's still playing for Arsenal because it's that kind of level of performance and inconsistency and tactical ill-discipline. So far. There's that there was that uh through ball for Lukaku against Huddersfield, right? There was a nice ball to Martial and there's 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 been some sparkling little touches, but I think his positional d- discipline against Chelsea was kind of disgraceful, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of players that would have been getting a, a big hammering for that. I don't know. It it always seemed like a weird time. The, the one difference between, like, the one of the main reasons I'm not sure I would think it would be Di Maria 2.0 is because I was absolutely buzzing about Di Maria say, signing and pretty much certain that he was exactly what we needed in our attack. And I don't think I'll ever have felt that way about Alexis Sanchez. When was the last time a United centre forward played as well as uh, as well in a big game as Lukaku did today? Asked L Rob. Yes, yes, Rob. Yes. Well, yeah, I could not Zlatan in the uh, League Cup final. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's look, it's, it's great for him because he's obviously obviously taken a lot of criticism this season, Lukaku, and I think a lot of it fair. You know, you have a very high expectations about Lukaku, and uh, there are some parts of his game that are not up to the very highest elite levels. But he's got twenty two goals now. He'll probably end up the season with thirty, which will be a very good, a very very good. Anyone who scores thirty goals, it's a very good season. Maybe we want more. Maybe he'll get more in the end. But he's, he, I feel like he's improving and that was a step towards improvement. So last season, Zlatan scored 28 goals, cost us, like, earned us some points for sure, but cost us massive points in in small games where he missed chance after chance after chance and people were holding up banners at the end of the season saying, if you stay, you can have my wife. And there's just a different tone to the discussion about Romelu Lukaku. 
There is, isn't there? Yep. Talking of tone, Alex Dixon, at A-B-C-M-S-A-G-J on Twitter. Um, long editorialised question, but basically says there's still a media bias in the description and adjectives used to describe Lukaku. Yep. Um, uh, based on his performance today, what three adjectives would you use? Well, I think that uh, the first adjective that I that comes to mind when I think of Lukaku is studious because he, as, as Martinez's quote famously sort of said, he's so, he's a student of the game in a way very few strikers are and, and you can see that in his movement. Um, so I go with studious first. Um, uh, deft? Like it's not a word that gets used about Lukaku very much, but his, his finish was deft and his cross was certainly deft. Um and then I think I'd go with physicality next because there's no reason you can't include his physicality in the description of what makes him an amazing striker because clearly that's part of what makes him an amazing striker. It's just that that's the only one they ever talk about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do think the narrative around Lukaku is kind of borders on offensive, you know? Um, as it as it did a lot of the time with Pogba, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. Even even in uh, actually, you know, to go back to the goal that United conceded, and we criticised everybody. Graham Souness commenting in the um, the Sky Studio only blamed Pogba for that. Yeah, but, I mean, Graham Souness literally said on air that he voted Brexit. So you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Graham. Thanks. Um, after Cantona, is David De Gea Fergie's most important signing? Asks a spotted tiger on Twitter. I like the username a lot. Um, I'm going to say he might crack the top ten, but uh, and and if we start, if we ever start regularly winning stuff like big stuff with him still in the team, then then he can go right up the list. But I think that it's all he's. He's been absolutely crucial to United in mitigating the collapse, like slightly minimising the collapse. But Fergie brought in players who lifted them, lifted us to league. T- I mean, I'm going to have Roy yeah, Keane that. and Ronaldo and even like Peter Schmeichel and Van der Sar, uh, who I think De Gea has surpassed in terms of quality, um, but not necessarily in terms of importance in United's history. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think he's some way down that list, but... Uh, Obviously, very high up the list of best ever United goalkeepers. Number one. Maybe. <laughs> We've had this debate before. <laughs> uh, Schmeichel, Schmeichel won it all. David, David De Gea hasn't. Uh, Schmeichel, um, Schmeichel was playing with Erwin, uh, uh, Bruce, Pallister, Neville in front of him. <laughs> and, and, and David De Gea is playing with the might of... Young, Lindelof, <laughs> Mike Smalling. And Antonio Valencia. Yeah, does he, they're all there to make him look good. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the only reason why you think he's number one. Um, <laughs> last question. <laughs> uh, and we get this quite a bit, but, you know, let's assess again after after um, Sunday's game. At Matt's 145 uh, asks, is McTominay going to make it or not? Today was the first time I thought he could. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um uh, mm, he's definitely going to make it. He's definitely going to have a Premier League career for sure. Um, but whether it's going to be a United career, I, if I if I had to say today, I would say no. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I uh, I'm not sure that he's a an elite United standard player. I think he needs to have more to his game than that. So we saw the mistake defensively. That's okay. He's very composed, and I think um, that always stands out in a young player that comes into a team when they look that composed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's uh, he's not nearly as adventurous enough in this passing as he needs to be. Uh, I think you said he's never seen a backward pass he doesn't love, <laughs> um, and that's very true. And you can only go so far being that safe. Um, so he's got to add a lot to his game. Um, he's 21 now. He's got time. Um, and Mourinho said he, he nearly left in the summer. He, he looks like he's going to stay. He's getting quite a bit of game time. He's going to learn a lot from that. And uh, and maybe next season is the one that we can really make a decision on on that one because he's going to have to leap forward quite a bit more. But look, it happens. Look yep. at um, Jesse Lingard. Darren you know, Fletcher. He's having a really, really good season now. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's probably having the season that many people thought he would never be able to have. Yep. No doubt. Okay. That's the questions. Good questions. Uh, we've got some games coming up. Thank you, listeners. Good, great questions. Sorry I'm not on Twitter to read them. But really, I'm not sorry I'm not on Twitter. It's the best decision I've literally ever made in my life. So, Monday night, we travel to uh, Selhurst Park to play Crystal Palace. We get the weekend um, off. It's a good long break between games, which is good after a, a kind of pretty heavy schedule. Although it's a shame it's another away game because there's three weeks between games at Old Trafford. Um, Went before the Chelsea game and and then straight off to uh, straight off to Palace, a pretty tricky one for uh, away supporters. Uh, getting all the way back to Manchester from South London late at night is probably not going to be a great deal of fun. Uh, but we should find that there's some fun to be had at Palace, although they're not. I mean, I think their league position is artificially low and and in large part based on the absolutely horrendous start they had to the season but they had sort of climbed out of out of the danger zone and now they're right back in it at level on points with Swansea Palace are 17th Swansea 18th um yeah they, they, haven't, they haven't won a game in the league since mid-January that's that's why you know yeah. they got spanked by Arsenal they drew at West Ham they they draw in Newcastle recently, lost to Tottenham at the weekend, obviously, and uh, got got beaten at Everton. Yeah. So that that's why they're just not picking up any points. Haven't haven't won a league game in six. No, but they, they haven't lost to anyone they're not supposed to lose to in that time either, really. I mean, Everton away, maybe they could have targeted that, but it's not really a game they're not supposed to lose, is it? Um obviously they're supposed to lose to Spurs and Arsenal. Um, and they, the, I guess the, the most disappointing result out of all of those would be the home draw with Newcastle, a game in which they compl- like comprehensively outplayed Newcastle as well. So um been a, a little bit unfortunate. I, think. I don't know quite why it is, but I have a sort of like strange... I'm slightly rooting for this particular Crystal Palace team. I think it's just because, well, first of all, Timothy Fosu-Mensah's there. Obviously, he won't play against us, but that's, you know, I don't want him to experience relegation. Secondly, I still sort of feel a bit sorry for Wilf Zaha for the mess that happened at United. And thirdly, I'm a big sucker for a redemption story, so I'd like Roy Hodgson to not end his career ignominiously after that disastrous Euros. Hmm. Uh, They play us on Monday, then they go to Chelsea, then they're away at Huddersfield, and then they're at home to Liverpool. Oh dear. <laughs> they're, they're in some big, big, big trouble. I mean, obviously you can discount West Brom because two reasons. They're really, really bad and, and Pardiola's manager. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so that's one down. So there's only two places left. But yeah, there's you know they've got a good chance, a really good chance of going down. Um, they're April. Uh, they play, you know, they play Bournemouth, they play Brighton, they play Watford, they play Leicester. They're going to have to have a big April. Yeah, yeah, they are. And and Watford and Brighton might be sort of kind of a bit out of it by that point. But even now, like there are six points between 18th and 10th. It's crazy. Like so bunched up. This is really rarely have we ever seen a season like this. I mean, I, I, there's the six points between um, 18th and 10th. There's only 10 points between 18th and 7th, which is like, genuinely remarkable for a league season, isn't it? It just doesn't happen. But Palace do possess attacking threats, and particularly they could be effective on the counter-attack. I mean, Zaha and Townsend, you know, can they can do stuff, and, and they have done on occasion. But, like I said, they've not been beating the teams that they're not supposed to beat. And Arsenal absolutely bad. They were dreadful in that game against Arsenal. But Arsenal also beat them um, at Selhurst Park... Uh, as did Spurs, obviously. We smashed them 4-0. That was before Hodgson came along. I don't know. I just find Mm. it hard to trust United to not mess up, but they shouldn't. No, no. I mean, you said Palace have the uh, players to hurt them on the break. That might be true, but will they have a chance to break if United are sitting in a low block for the whole game? (laughs) We'll see. I mean, the... the, uh, the 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 problem the Palace's real problem at the moment they've just got so many players injured you know they've yeah. got like twelve or something like that and uh, um, obviously Zahar's out at the moment um, who's their standout attacking player oh I didn't um, know that pl- yeah yeah plenty of others too so you know that's that's why they can't get any momentum going um, at the moment they need to get their players fit they need to get Zahar fit. Um, you know, uh, Hodgson said at the weekend he's well ahead of schedule uh, for coming back, but still likely to be a few weeks. I, I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to have a let's let's just assume United beat them. They're going to have a really horrible march, and they're going to be deep deep in relegation trouble come April. And it's you know, can they get enough players fit by that time to to get out of trouble? It's a big big question. So they've got 13 first team players injured, and of course Timothy Fosumenta won't be available for this one. All right. I'm starting to relax about this game, Ed. I'm starting to... I had visions of it going poorly, but it's. Um, I'm starting to relax into the idea that we might actually beat Crystal Palace away from home. Yeah. Spurs had 76% possession against them at the weekend. So I think we can probably... You know, I don't know. It's uh, it's the, the movable force versus the stoppable object <laughs> in this game. So uh, who, who's, whose battle of, of defensive blocks is going to win? I mean, what I'd like to see in this game is uh, is like a ridiculously attacking-minded team from United, and just just try and put these to the sword. Because why not? Like, we just might as well. Especially, I'd... yeah. I mean, it really should be four 0 FC again, yeah. shouldn't it? Okay. And and now that I know Zaha's out, I might be predicting predicting four 0 FC to be back. But then. I mean, isn't it's it's always difficult. I'm really sorry we can't do a proper preview. I mean, proper preview. When do we ever do proper previews? But sometimes we do when when United play Liverpool. That's a game we actually pay attention to doing some sort of preview for. But it's such a long way off at this point. I mean, it's 14, no, uh, 12 days away as we record this. Um, but 
It's absolutely, absolutely massive, isn't it? I mean, in a way, we've we've got a little bit of an advantage over them because they are, well, first of all, we're at home, but also they're going away to Porto, um, whereas we play Sevilla after Liverpool and both games are at home. Um, oh, no, they're not going away to Porto. They're playing them at home, but they're playing them at home on a Tuesday night. Um, I guess they can, they won 5-0 in the first leg, didn't they? They can just rest everyone for that game. Yeah, look, I, I think they're going to have plenty of time to recover for this game. Um, uh, United uh, have, what, five days as well. They'll be all right. Um, I, d- I don't think uh, rest and recovery is going to be an issue here. Uh, how United approach the game will be interesting because obviously uh, sort of, you know, our whole debate about Mourinho's negativity this season started with that away game at Liverpool, didn't it? Um, after after such a good st- strong start to the season, um, and given Liverpool's propensity for scoring goals, sixty five of them in the Premier League so far, um, you'd think Mourinho would be extremely concerned about that and and Mo Salah's form at the moment, um, and that might just lead United to being you know uh, if not totally negative, then very compact and a bit circumspect, much as they were against Chelsea at the weekend. I mean, the thing is one of the things that was so maddening about the Anfield game was the form that Liverpool were in at the time. I mean, one of the reasons we're above them in the league this season is that they started with such a big wobble. Um, But nobody could argue that Liverpool aren't in good form at the moment. I mean, the, the, the odd, peculiar loss, like, so they lost to Swansea at the back end of January. But apart from that, they've beaten Everton. It's obviously meaningful to them. They've beaten City. They had that brilliant two-all draw with Spurs, although kind of, I think, probably the, the plaudits could go to Spurs in that game, but, but Liverpool showed the weapons that they've got. And they've been sort of ticking up the wins against the teams they're supposed to beat as well, which is something that they weren't necessarily doing. I mean, this is a game in which a draw is not a bad result. I think if you look at the way the table lies, when you know we're above them and uh, we're not fighting for the league in the way that we potentially were when a draw was not a good result at Anfield. This time round, I think a draw is a good result. Um, but one of the main fears that I would have about that is, I think if we play for a draw, we're going to get beat. <laughs> like that's, I'm not sure we're going to be able to lock out Liverpool. That doesn't seem to be playing to our strengths. It seems to be playing to theirs. Yeah, but that that's exactly what Mourinho does, you know. I, I, I'm not sure he's going to go, hmm, look, they've conceded 32 goals this season. Therefore, United didn't have to open this game out and we'll go toe-to-toe and we'll see who scores most. Not sure Mourinho will think about it this way. I, I think he's going to see they've scored 30, 65 goals this season. They have plenty of very credible threats in attack. We need to neutralise those and see what we can do in the details um, of our attacking game on the break. Uh, and I would bet large amounts of money that's exactly how United I mean, will play. But we are 12 days away, so who knows? Maybe maybe Salah gets <laughs> injured uh, uh, in, in that time. Suspended. Let's get him, like let's get him and, suspended. Uh, and he'll, he'll get change his thing. rather than injured. I don't yeah, wish yeah. any personal harm on him, you know. Seems like a lovely fella. Um, the, uh, the real worry about Liverpool in general is the sneaking, nagging suspicion that they might actually be good. Chris asked us earlier whether United were actually good. And at the moment, I've got a kind of sneaking, nagging suspicion that United are not actually good, Um, even though we're ahead of them in the table and all that kind of malarkey. Um, 
I don't know. It's kind of working for them, isn't it? It's kind of they they've got a heck of an attacking unit. They don't seem to have suffered much from the loss of Coutinho so far. Um, they brought in Van Dijk. Obviously, they've they they've they've got big upgrades. They need they need like a proper goalkeeper for, for sure, and maybe some some more defensive recruits. But and maybe their central midfield's a little wobbly as well. But I don't know. It's worrying, Ed. It's worrying is what I'm saying. Yeah, a lot of the models still have Liverpool finishing second. Right. Um, and they'd have a very good chance of that if they beat us. So let's hope that doesn't mm. happen, hey? Um, you know, I, no, I think, look, second or third, was it? what does it really matter? It's sort of pride, yeah. isn't it? And momentum. Um, fourth is a problem because it's two extra games next yeah. season in late July or early August or whatever it is, early August. Um, and and more than that, you know, you lose here, Chelsea win next week or lose against Liverpool, Chelsea win next week, Spurs win, and and it gets really compressed for the top four once again. Yeah, but draw a draw. Obviously, like all the, t- the Chelsea and Spurs and stuff would be happy if if Liverpool and United draw. But I think from our perspective, a, a draw has to be a pretty decent result at this point. But of course, it's not like Liverpool are invulnerable. So the you know. If we were, if this was Fergie, we were talking about. I mean, not that he wasn't extremely conservative against Liverpool because he so often was, but I think um, at Old Trafford, not so often. Um, and I, I think we'd be talking about like, well, you know, Sanchez and Pogba and Lukaku and Martial and Mata and Rashford and Lingard in backup can all can all do some serious damage to Liverpool's shaky goalkeeper and still not particularly certain backline. You know, it's uh, they're they're there to be got at. They're just clearly a pretty impressive dynamic force going forward. And Mo Salah is having the season of his life, but it doesn't necessarily look like a freak. It's the kind of season that I think probably few people might have predicted him to have at some point in his career because he's a very very fine player, isn't he? Yeah. Anyway, that's the Liverpool. Um, I and I guess that's it. For the show this week, uh, any any key items we've missed that you want to cover? No, I've been paying absolutely no attention to the news stories. I guess we could have broken down Pogba versus Mourinho a bit more, but it's just so depressing that I don't even want to think about it, let alone know exactly what's happened on a kind of blow-by-blow way. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and the, uh, the thing that seems to have really exacerbated all that with some kind of delicious irony is an article by Duncan Castle saying that uh, Pogba feels he's been unfairly treated and is looking for routes out. Interesting. Oh, no! 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 Oh, gosh, that would be... Honestly, that would just be so upsetting if that... If Mourinho chases Pogba out of this football club, my goodness. Anyway, all right. Uh, that'll do for the show thank you for listening Uh, we'll be back with another one of these after the Liverpool game might be are we playing Sevilla right on the back of that if we are it'll be after that Um, but yeah until then uh, enjoy Manchester United's triumphant win over Crystal Palace and of course the uh, return of swashbuckling free-flowing two fullbacks flying forward football at Old Trafford as we smash Liverpool 5-0 what are your actual predictions for these two games before we go Uh, uh, Crystal Palace um, let's go for 3-0 it's got to be, hasn't it? Okay. They're terrible. And one all against Liverpool. Uh, I'm going to go 2-0 against Palace because they might be terrible, but I know another team that's not very good. <laughs> um, and, yeah, 0-0 Liverpool. All right. Well, uh, enjoy those results and, and we'll see you the week after next. See you then.